Yay! <laughs> All right, you, you kids can go have a seat. Thank you. We'll clean this up Good later. Job. HFC, teaching kids to be messy. <laughs> and how to read. And how to read. How you guys doing? Oh, we are sure. in the middle of a sermon series, HFC at the Movies, and this week we are featuring Big Hero 6. Everybody loves a good story, right? I mean, that's why we go to movies, that's why we read books. We, we love them because they're uplifting. We love them because they're inspiring, they're motivational. Sometimes they step on our toes a little bit, but because there's a little bit of distance, and Cynthia, that's okay. We'll clean it up afterwards. She's such a servant. Such what a servant. servant. Heart, man. So That's good. great. But because they're told in such a way, even if they sometimes step on our toes, we're willing to accept it and maybe even change a little bit. Well, today's Bible passage um, is a great story, and it's one that I'm sure most of you have heard, but we're going to look at it again in light of our movie, Big Hero 6. Now, Big Hero 6 was what they would call a blockbuster movie. $222 million domestically, making it second only in the animated genre to The Incredibles. Domestically, worldwide, Big Hero 6 stands alone with over $650 million in revenue. Now, when I go to a movie, I, I zone in on characters. I don't know about you, but there are certain characters that, that I resonate with more than others. I like to see how they deal with different situations. I like to see myself in those situations as well. Now, that's a good story, right? When you can feel yourself in, in the story, well, Jesus was really good at that, wasn't he? And he told stories called parables, and parables are stories that teach us a lesson. And this is a great lesson for us to learn this morning. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. This is coming from Luke 15, and a lot of times we have the words on the screen, but we just want you to hear the story today. So here we go. Then he, Jesus said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them, and it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he'd gone through all this money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to feed, assigned him to the field to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig's slop, but no one would even give him any. And that brought him to his senses. He said, all these farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up 
went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. His son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful celebration. All this time, his older son was out in the field. And when the day's work was done, he came in. And as he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Calling over to one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. And he told him, your father came home. The father has ordered a feast. And the message translates it, I think, for the Texans, (laughs) barbecued beef. Because he has him home safe and sound. The elder brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. Then Seth said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, who has thrown away your money, shows up, and you go all out with a feast. His father said, son, don't you understand? You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. So as we were watching Big Hero 6, we saw so many parallels between the characters in this story and the characters in Big Hero 6. So many of them with, with imperfections and weaknesses that, that we can relate to and that are found in the story. So we're going to begin by identifying one of the characters in the movie. Um, as we watch this first clip, look at this scene through the lens of what you just heard in the Bible story and see if you can figure out which character um, this character reminds you of. <laughs> so can you identify who Hero would be in the story? We've got this young, reckless, gifted kid. We've got this kid who is great, but he's kind of immature, doesn't think about the consequences of his actions, bored with people around him. And as we learn more in the movie, we also see that he's also a kid that's suffering greatly. His parents are dead. He and his brother are living with their aunt. But even though he's surrounded by the love and the security and family that he holds dear, for some reason he always finds himself leaving, heading out on his own, going to those bot fights, just isolating himself from everything that is dear and special to him. Can you see Hero resonating with the younger brother? I mean, the attitudes line up perfectly. You know, the story implies that uh, this family was probably wealthy, The son asks for his inheritance, and he splits. He's been given everything, and yet he chooses to go off because everything isn't enough. He wants to find his own place in the world. He doesn't care that he's hurting his father. He doesn't care that he's leaving community. He doesn't think about his consequences. And in the end, he's reduced to isolation 
frustration, alone and desperate. So we've got the younger brother. Let's look at another character, and we'll delve in just a little bit more after that. Professor Callahan, I would call a complicated character. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, Professor Callahan is actually a mentor to all of those, those kids, um, those students, and they thought that he died. And it turns out that he ended up being um, the one who, who was the villain in the story. You know, but sometimes it's hard to tell, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Because he was so well-respected. He was the leader of the brightest minds, the one that they looked up to. He was held up as an example to all who would come after him because he had it all together. Yet, he experienced a great disappointment. Obviously, you saw in this clip that um, he lost his daughter. He lost something that was very important to him. And he was unable to see around him all of the great things that he had. He could only focus on his anger and on his hurt and on his pain and on his disappointment. That's all he could see. And it clouded everything else. He couldn't see and be grateful for the things that he had. Anger and revenge took over, and his heart began to harden. So who do you think? Who do you think that we would compare him to in this story? Anyone? The older brother. Now, the story of the prodigal son could easily be entitled the story of the prodigal sons. Um, you see, the older son, though he had everything he needed, though he lived in the father's house, though he walked daily on the grounds where his father lived, he could only see what he didn't have. He was so focused on what his father didn't do for him that he lost sight of all he did have. He did all the right things, always there, always at home taking care of stuff. He worked hard for his father, but his heart his heart was very far away from the father. You see, when his brother returned, his father threw a party. And what happened was that the son, the older son, perceived that he had lost something, even though he had never lost anything at all. He came across the celebration that he had access to. He had lived in the father's house for so long, he forgot to be grateful for everything he had. That spirit of ingratitude... Well, joy cannot live where ingratitude resides. He became judgmental rather than hospitable. He became hard-hearted rather than compassionate. One of my very favorite books, and it's one of those books that um, you read it and you have to close it and process it, and a couple days later you can pick it up again and read it. And it's actually um, it's called The Return of the Prodigal Son, by my favorite author, Henry Nouwen, and um, he, he goes through the whole story of the prodigal son, and I want to read to you what he says about the, the elder son. The lostness of the elder son, however, is much harder to identify. After all, he did all the right things. He was obedient, dutiful, law-abiding, and hardworking. People respected him, admired him, praised him, and likely considered him a model son. Outwardly, the elder son was faultless, 
But when confronted by his father's joy at the return of his younger brother, a dark power erupts in him and boils to the surface. Suddenly there becomes glaringly visible a resentful, proud, unkind, selfish person, one that had remained deeply hidden even though it had been growing stronger and more powerful over the years. All these years I've slaved for you and never once disobeyed any orders of, you, of yours, yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. In this complaint, obedience and duty have become a burden and service has become slavery. Hmm. So let's get back to the movie. We, we've got these two characters. Both of them have experienced loss. We've got Hero who's lost his mother and his father. And then later, Tadashi. We've got Callahan, who's lost his daughter, Abigail. Both have experienced the same sort of trauma. They could have had the same fate, and yet they had completely different paths. And so we were sitting there thinking, well, what made the difference? How could one experience such loss and take one path, and the other experience the same sort of loss and take a different path? And the difference in the movie was Baymax. Hero had met Baymax. Take a look. So there we have Baymax. His main objective was to heal. He was unwilling to stand at a distance. I love the response of the four um, friends of Tadashi. They did the best they could. They sent the, the email and this and that. But a lot of times we just don't know how far is too far when we see people hurting. So we kind of wish them well and I'm going to pray for them, but we keep a distance. But not Hero. Hero was engaged in the situation and he refused to go away. His job was to heal the pain in Hero's life. And before we, we talk about who Hero is in the story, which you can probably start to put it together. I want you to think about who you identify with, which character, which brother perhaps resonates the most with you. You know, you've got the younger brother. He made some pretty devastating mistakes, um, probably still living with some of those consequences, and, and you may be too. Sometimes we see ourselves as the screw-ups, and we can't get past our past, We've been given great gifts, and we've squandered them, and we live with guilt. We don't put those gifts to use, and we live with shame. And then we have the professor or the older brother. And honestly and, and unfortunately, this is the one that I resonate most with. And maybe you do too, um, because in our assessment, we're doing pretty good. We're here, right? We're in the Father's house this morning. We're doing good, um, and we're comfortable being the good child, the golden child, maybe. I wouldn't say that I'm the golden child in my family, but he is. Uh, <laughs> life looks Guilty. good for <laughs> us, yeah. but offend us just a little bit, step on our toes, inconvenience us. <laughs> We've lived in the Father's house for so long We'd rather just be happy and comfortable, right? I would. We're used to a certain way of living our lives. If anything threatens that, our defenses go up. We say we know we're blessed, 
but the striving for more and better and bigger grows, and we're so focused on what we don't have yet that we fail to see the bigger picture. So, younger brother, older brother, is there a character that's starting to, uh, in your heart, you feel it? Well, let me tell you, if you're that younger brother, there is a healer. And we can be thankful for that. You see, in this story, um, the Baymax character, that healer that Garen was talking about, reminds us of the father. Remember how the story began? Jesus actually started not talking about the sons, right? He said, a man had two sons. And I learned in English class, that means that he's probably the subject of the story. And so the focus of the story is really on the father. And he's actually the character that Jesus wants us to pay the most attention to. You know, we, we usually talk about that younger son, don't we? But Jesus is calling our attention to the father. You know why? Jesus was surrounded by um, tax collectors and sinners when he was telling this story. And he wanted to make it abundantly clear that the God that he was talking about is a compassionate God, a God who forgives and a God who restores. Jesus wanted them to know that there was forgiveness and restoration. Think about it. Get the, the mental um, movie going in your mind of the father when he saw his son a long way off. He saw him struggling to get down the road. And from up above, he saw his son coming. And he didn't wait for his son to get to him. He probably kicked off his sandals and ran to him with the dust flying behind him. Can you just imagine it? Imagine it. I imagine he leapt off the, the porch. And just like Baymax, he was committed to restoring and healing his son. You said, we could stop there. That's a good story, right? I mean, that, that's some good news. Um, but there's more. There's more. And Henry Nouwen puts it, puts it this way. He says, perhaps the most radical statement Jesus made is this. Be compassionate as your father is compassionate. God's compassion is described by Jesus not simply to show me how willing God is to feel for me or to forgive me my sins and offer me new life and happiness, but to invite me to become like God and to show the same compassion to others as he is showing me. If the only meaning of the story were that people sin, but God forgives, I could easily begin to think of my sins as a fine occasion for God to show me his forgiveness. There would be no real challenge in such an interpretation. I would resign myself to my weaknesses and keep hoping that eventually God would close his eyes to, him, to them and let me come home, whatever I did. Such sentimental romanticism is not the message of the Gospels. I am destined to step into my father's place and offer to others the same compassion that he has offered me. The return to the father is ultimately the challenge to become the father. This call to become the father precludes any soft interpretation of the story. I know how much I long to return and be held safe, but do I really want to be the son and heir with all that implies? Being in the father's house 
requires that I make the Father's life my own and become transformed in his image. Um, the call of God is not to continue to live as one of the sons as much as we may identify with them. That is not the call of God on our lives. The call of God is to become like the Father. And, you know, in the movie, like Baymax. And so we wanted to show you another clip of Baymax, the compassionate healer, a rescuer. Cody, are you in here? Cody, come on up. I loved in this clip how, did you start to see Hero's character change to become more like Baymax? He was there, he was like, we gotta go in. So um, we wanted to introduce you to someone who is um, becoming more and more like Baymax and the father each day. This is Cody Neely, and um, she has started a nonprofit, and we're excited to tell you a little bit about it because I think that she serves as an example to the rest of us. Do you want to tell us about your nonprofit? Um, when I was. It should be on. There you go. Um, when I was in. When I was in first grade, we did these homeless bags um, at the, towards the end of the year. And um, I kept on hearing the word grace through church and at the radio. And um, I wanted to collect pennies because I thought that pennies were often treated like homeless people because they would they'd just get stepped on and, like, passed and... Um, and so, yeah. and then uh, I talked to my mom about it, and we kind of just kept on putting it off because I was like seven, and <laughs> she was like, she doesn't know anything really. About about that. She knows stuff. <laughs> and then um, it just kind of like. You stuck with it, didn't yeah. you? And then three weeks ago, we got a letter, and it's. A legal nonprofit. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always amazed that you've got this person, and, and a lot of times we say, "Well, what can we do?" I mean, the the problem is so big, and yet we have at seven, God placing in Cody's heart something can be done, and it doesn't have to be these million dollar checks. It starts with the smallest of increments that people just they don't even pick up when they see on the on the street. And yet that makes a difference. And I, I'm so proud of her because this next week, you want me to tell or you want to tell? This next week, from the money that she's raised with her nonprofit, Cody is actually sending her first teen to teen camp through scholarship money from the nonprofit. And so somebody's life already is going to be changed because of the work that Cody has begun. So if you want to know more about graced. Find Cody after church. She'd love to talk to you about it, and she'd love your pennies. So, uh, <laughs> thanks, Cody. And, and just pennies, right? Mm, well, well, you'll take big, larger bills. <laughs> but, <okay. laughs> but when you pick up a penny, don't leave it discarded on the road. Pick it up. Start collecting them, and you can bring them to her. She'll count them for you. Thank you, Cody. Second Corinthians um, 1, verses 3 through 4, 
hear this, all praise to God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. You see, friends, that is a theme in the Bible. And compassion and helping others is something that um, Jesus is quite serious about. Um, so what does it mean to be the father, the hero, um, the Baymax? Does it mean that we keep doing what we're doing and just do more of it? Probably not. Um, I'm reading a book uh, by Jen Hatmaker called Interrupted, and um, it is interrupting my life, quite honestly. And this is what she says. She says, does it mean we stay attached from the needs of those around us because we don't know what to do? If you truly love me, you will feed my sheep. My people are crumbling and dying and starving, and you're blessing blessed people and serving the saved. Ouch. One of six billion people on planet Earth, about 1.2 billion live on 23 cents a day. Half the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. The wealthiest one billion people average $70 a day. This places you and me in the upper, upper, upper percentages of the global population. If you make $35,000 annually, you are in the top 4%. If you make $50,000 annually, the top 1%. Someone dies of hunger every 3.6 seconds. Last year, 22 million people died of preventable diseases. 10 million were children. 27 million children and adults are trapped in slavery because of economic crisis. More slaves exist today than ever before in human history. More than 143 million children in the developing world have been orphaned. In the last hour, over 1,625 children were forced to the streets by the death or abuse of an adult. Roughly 1 billion people in the world do not have suitable housing, and 100 million are entirely homeless. 780 million people lack basic water sanitation, which results in disease, death, wastewater for drinking, and loss of immunity. Americans consume 26 billion liters of bottled water a year. We spend more annually on trash bags than nearly half the world spends on all goods combined. What does it mean to be the father? What does it mean to be the Baymax? Um, Jen Hatmaker goes on to say, until we are all compelled and contributing, we're settling for an anemic faith and a church that robs Christ followers of their vitality and repels the rest of the world. We are called to action. We've been so busy being the big brother, safe in the Father's house. Um, do you think that's enough? Have we been so wrapped up in our own shortcomings and failures that we can't do anything or we think we can't do anything? Because let me tell you, God is calling you to be a hero. God is calling you to make a difference in this world, a big difference. And we can do it 
when we allow God to work in our hearts and minds and to completely wreck us. I think the big, the big issue is how do you view love? Because love in word only is pretty pointless. Love must be put into action. I've been reading Harper Lee's book, Go Set a Watchman. Um, it's the one that inspired To Kill a Mockingbird. And I love what she says. She said, love's the only thing in the world that is unequivocal. There are different kinds of love, certainly, but you either do or you don't. Uh, it's a do or a don't proposition with all of them. God is calling us to do. God is calling us to love the world and be the, the Baymax that the world needs. Um, the person that we didn't talk about that much, and, and Danny, we're going to skip this last clip and go straight to the end. Um, Tadashi, the older brother to Hiro. Um, the thing I love about Tadashi is Tadashi created Baymax. Tadashi had this program that he put in Baymax, and that helped Baymax know specifically, what is my purpose? What is my goal? It's whatever Tadashi put in my system. That is what I'm to do. Now, the thing I love is I'm big on words, and so I went to one of my favorite websites, uh, babynamespedia.com. <laughs> Eddie, Yana, you may want to try that. And I looked up, what does Tadashi mean? Because Disney usually has something that they're trying to say. Um, not always Christian, but something. Tadashi is a Japanese name, and one of the translations for it is faithful servant. So do you see? So we've got this faithful servant that wants to put into us who are called to be the Baymaxes of the world. He wants to program us and teach us how to love and heal the world the way he wants the world to be loved and healed. He's, he's telling us what to do. He's not leaving us out there and saying, go get it done. He is training us and teaching us how to be the Baymaxes of the world. He's done the work. Are we willing to become the Baymax that he's called us to be? I believe with all my heart that God is calling this generation, and that includes everyone in this room, is calling this generation to something um, life-altering for all of us. Um, we made these cards for all of you. And so whether you feel like you are the hero, H-I-R-O, the younger son, whether you feel like you may be the older son or the Callahan kind of character, God is calling you to be the father, to be the Baymax, to be the one who is so committed to serving others, to changing the world for him. We can't sit here in the father's house and do nothing. So we're going to call the band up. And we're just going to give you a couple minutes. The band's just going to sing a verse and a chorus and a refrain. We want to give you time, time to pray, time to ask God, God, are you calling me to be this Baymax? And if you are, I want to respond. Um, as they sing, we have these Baymax chip cards for you. Um, they're, they're at the altars. You are welcome to come up and grab one. 
Um, I encourage you to put it in your wallet, put it in your purse. Every time you pull out that debit card, stop and, and see that and say, God, where, do you, where you have me right now, am I being Baymax in this situation? Is there someone around me, the person in the line behind me, the person across the checkout from me, the person at the restaurant, what would you have me do today to be more like you have programmed me and called me to be? So as the band sings, uh, feel free to join in, feel free to come up, take a card, and we encourage you today. May God give us eyes to see the hurting around us and strength to bring healing and broken and uh, to the brokenness around us.